And so, Father, we, uh, we pray that you would help us right now make much of your son, Jesus. Uh, we confess he has no rival, no equal. And the passage today helps us see that more clearly. And so would you help us not only see that in all its reality, uh, but to live lives that reflect that truth. And so we pray for you to meet us in a powerful way uh, in this time. Uh, for we come to you in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Ah, that sounded good. Well, we, as we start this new series, uh, Dear Breach Point, I want to ask you, can you remember the last time you received an important letter? Uh, you know, maybe it was something that was good. Maybe it was something that was hard to read. I, I can think of different letters having different impacts. I, I can actually remember the first letter I received that had kind of a, a significant impact. I was in sixth grade. I was up at sixth grade outdoor ed camp, and I had a girlfriend. And the girlfriend's friend handed me a note. And this is what's known as a Dear John letter. It was a letter saying to me, Dear Billy, uh, blank, I won't name her in case you protect the innocent, no longer wants to be, I'm not, no longer want to be your girlfriend because you love the UCLA Bruins more than you do me. <laughs> Sincerely, and she signed her name. And so I took that letter. I was like, what am I supposed to do with that? I went to, uh, they had the, we were doing um, uh, square dancing, learning how to square dance, and she was dosy doing with some other guy, and I just went, meh. Uh, you know, go Bruins! Like, I mean, I don't know why. I just didn't really, it didn't really have the kind of effect, but I can still remember it. Uh, but the funny thing is, like, I think of, like, letters that have been letters of encouragement to me, I, I mean, I keep those. I, I, I relish those. I have a file at home and a file here at work. In fact, I grabbed it right before uh, the, the morning started. I, I pulled it out of my file, and it was, like, so big. I was going to bring it here, but it's just too big. I'm going to drop it all over. But just encouraging letters from a number of you, mostly from Lisa Allen. Uh, but uh, a number of letters just to encourage me and, and uh, remind me. And they're, they're powerful, like when you realize in some ways how hard life can be and how valuable a letter can, can be as well. And so today we're beginning a series called Dear Beach Point in which we are looking at one of the letters that was written during this last season uh, uh, of uh, uh, our study through the book of Acts. We saw that the Apostle Paul was establishing these churches all over the world. And one of the things that we saw along the way that Pastor Ken and I were trying to show you is that there were certain moments in that journey where uh, the Apostle Paul would write letters to some of these churches that were being established. Uh, We're going to look at a letter that is written to the Colossians, uh, to this church that actually Paul never got to, but one of his his friends had gone. They had had, uh, uh, shared the gospel. They had built a church. Uh, the church was going. He was hoping to get there uh, as soon as he, uh, he could. Uh, but already uh, some, some teaching had gotten in and filled, uh, gotten into the church. They were struggling with some ideas about Jesus. And so these letters that Paul would write would be to encourage the church, to instruct the church, to correct the church. And, and so what we see, one of the things that happens with God's word is sometimes it teaches us. It shows us things that we didn't see before. And sometimes it says it corrects us. So uh, the word correct uh, actually means this, to take something that was bent and to make it straight again. And so sometimes the reason Paul wrote these letters was because a teaching had kind of been bent and it needed to be corrected, it needed to be straightened. And we're going to see some of that in this. Now one of the things that's so significant about this letter is the way that it talks about 
uh, who Jesus is and, and the way that it, it helps characterize him in this. And, and why this has become so important is because as the false teaching was coming in, kind of lowering Jesus to this kind of smaller level of who he was and, and, and who they felt he, uh, his reality was, uh, Paul wanted to put Jesus in his right place and help, help the, this young church understand how significant Jesus really was. And this is important for us because your view of Jesus Christ will impact how you live your life. If you see him as small, he'll fit into a, one of many things going on in your life. But if you see him uh, for who he really is, which we, we pray will happen today in some ways, then you will learn to live in response to his greatness. And so just as Paul's prayer was that they would grow and develop and mature and complete in Christ, this is our prayer for you as well. Uh, and, and so my hope is over these next couple of weeks, you're going to see some themes, I think, that are important for Beach Point right now. Uh, as we begin this new season in our church, that you're going to see it's important to put him first and to stand firm and to keep walking with him, to grow deep and to reach wide. These things are, just as they were important for the Colossians, they're important for us as well. And I, and I want you to see, there's a great kind of summary statement at the end of chapter one, that I, let me put it here on the screen, that I think helps capture what we, we're praying for our church during this time. And he says that he is the one, meaning Jesus, we proclaim, admonish, teaching everyone with all wisdom. Why? So that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. And he says, this is what I am working so hard for, is to develop you, to present you at, at some point, to present you fully mature in Christ. Our leaders here, our staff, our, our uh, life group leaders, our, our uh, kid leaders, our uh, everyone, this, friends, this is what we're working so hard for, is that we can present each other fully mature in Christ. This is why we're working so hard. This is what is, uh, it's all about. So let me invite you to turn to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Sherry was able to read these kind of first verses to set us up. We're going to jump into verse 15. And verse 15, uh, and so in this letter, one of the things that we're praying for you is uh, you might have gotten one as you came in today. Um, you can grab one on your way out. Uh, but we have a little bookmark, which is a reading plan through the next four weeks. It will help you read through uh, this, this book. So each of the next four weeks, we're going to look at one of the key parts of, the, of that chapter. But we won't be able to get through all of it. But we are encouraging you. It's four short chapters. It's, it's important. It's powerful. It can be great for your growth. We don't want you just to get through Colossians. We want Colossians to get through you. And so... Boy, I hope that made the recording. That was... That grunt from... that. This has been a morning of interruptions. You have no idea. Okay. So on one side of the bookmark, one of the things that's helpful is we've been trying to train you over this year uh, to do something we call SOAP, which is we want you just to learn to not just read the Bible, but to learn to listen to God speak to you, to, to, uh, make, to see things, but to slow yourself down enough to allow God to say, and here's why this is important for you today. And so I want to encourage you, grab one of the bookmarks, you grab one of the journals we used from the last uh, uh, series to use to journal through things. Uh, there's a lot of great uh, opportunities in this. But as we do this, think of the book of Colossians like this. Uh, think of it as a lighthouse. Now, one of the cool things is, you, I, you probably haven't noticed this yet, but you will soon. 
But when you walk out after today, I want to encourage you, look at the new building. And look at the far right-hand side, look at the top, and you will see there's kind of a lighthouse element that's being built into the new building. In fact, when everything's done, uh, you'll actually be able to see. It will light up. You'll drive by Magnolia. The light from the top of that building will shine across uh, uh, Magnolia. And and it's a symbol. Uh, It's a symbol. It's a beacon of uh, that, that here that the truth of God is going to be a lighthouse, like a lighthouse for us. See, a, a lighthouse uh, does a couple of things. It, it, it not only, on the one hand, it directs you, but it also protects you. It, it, it is there to keep you from being shipwrecked. And we hold God's truth up in such a way, God's word up in such a way that we want to say we don't want your faith to be shipwrecked. And so it's a symbol to us of, of God's word in our life and God's power in our life that we want your faith to grow. And in the same way, this is the way that Colossians is working. This letter is written to protect them from poor theology and unnecessary traditions, from worldly philosophies. Uh, All these things were threats to them, and they're threats to us today. They're just different. They're different kinds of threats that we are dealing with, things that would, would be difficult for our faith. But the truth of this is designed to help navigate our faith to protect our faith from being shipwrecked. And I, want, I, I pray that this will be encouraging to you. So chapter one, what we're going to see is chapter one makes a big deal about Jesus and, and helps us see who he is, who he really is. And it makes it ab- abundantly clear that Jesus is above all things. And the implication is very important, that if Jesus is above all things then he deserves a place, a right place in our lives. And it's our big idea today. And so our big idea today is this, dear Beach Point, put Jesus first. Put Jesus first. This first section is going to help you see something, that Jesus isn't like uh, a Marvel superhero. He's not just someone with superpowers who's just a little bit bigger than us, a little bit stronger, a little bit faster, um, but he is categorically beyond us. He is holy. He is infinitely beyond uh, what we understand uh, or can get our heads around. Uh, We make much about Jesus here at Beach Point. Uh, In fact, think of it this way. Uh, If someone were to ask you, are you a Christian, Uh, how would you respond to that? I can remember uh, as a freshman in high school, I, did, I had no, I'd never been to church, really never, I'd gone a couple times as a family, but really had no idea of anything. And a girl sitting across from me in biology asked me this question. She said, are you a Christian? And my little 14-year-old brain started moving as quick as it could, processing the information of how do I answer this question? And I realized, well, I, I, I don't think I would mark any other religious box. Uh, I'm you know, conservative as much as I can tell. I think I would vote. I mean, I put, I had all kinds of reasons of why I thought I would answer yes to it. And so I'm sure it took a lot longer uh, to answer than I realized. But when I finally said, yes, I'm a Christian, she looked at me kind of like the Cheshire cat in Alice in Wonderland with a smile and kind of went, not yet. (laughs) Okay. Okay. And so she actually became someone that really began to help me understand uh, what it meant to be a Christian. But if I asked you, are you a Christian, why would you say yes or no? Is it because you would not check any other religious box? Is it because of the way you think you might vote? Is it because of kind of the the things you practice, what you spend an hour doing on Sunday? 
See, the, 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 the first Christians didn't even call themselves Christians. You know, the word Christian is only used in the Bible four times. They didn't call themselves Christians. The, the group at Antioch, the followers of Jesus in Antioch, were called Christians. And it's because they, the people around them looked at them and said, you're like little Christ. Like you resemble him and you, you want your life to look like him and you take his teaching on and you want, you want to do what he wants you to do. What maybe was meant as an insult actually became a great compliment. To be a Christian is to say you want to be a little Christ. That you want to resemble him and take his life on and, and learn from him and put your life under his. In fact, maybe more what we see in the, in the scriptures is that we are called followers of Jesus. We follow him, we imitate him, we come under him. And Colossians, uh, this, this first part shows us why we make him our leader. Colossians 1 is going to show, show us why we place him first in our lives. So what's interesting in this section, I, let me, let me uh, help you understand one last thing before we look at it, is that this little section we're going to read, it might have been a hymn, it might have been a creed. Uh, but chances are, most scholars believe that this was probably something that was recited in the, the, the early churches. Uh, so it could have been one of their favorite songs to sing. So if I were to ask you, what's your favorite, what's one of your favorite worship songs, what would you say? You can say it out loud. Go ahead. It is well. Just, Jesus loves me. Anyone from the peanut gallery? Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace. Okay, very good. What was it? Oceans. Oceans. Okay. Now think about it. There are, the reason why a lot of these songs resonate with us is, one, maybe there's a little bit of a catchy tune to it, but probably there's some message in that song, the words, that connects somehow deep within you. There's something that just kind of like stirs your soul. There's a message in it that stirs your soul and says something. That last song that we sung, I mean, you can almost feel the room kind of rises a little bit in parts of that song, not just because we believe these things to be true, but then we realize if this is true, like there's no stopping us, like there's a feeling in that, right? And this is what this passage is for them as well. So let's begin to, we've set it up, now let's look at it. Uh, It starts in verse 15 with these words. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Now, I want to stop there because those first few words are super important to everything else that he's about to say. He says, the Son is the image of the invisible God. And here's the first point, that Jesus shows us what God is like. Jesus shows us what God is like. When he uses this word image... It is the word icon. Uh, it is to help us see that, that Jesus is this physical representation of this transcendent God. That when you see Jesus, you see God. If you want to know how God thinks about things, if you want to know how God would respond to something, he says, look at Jesus. We see in the life of Jesus uh, everything we wonder about of what God is like And so we begin to understand something very important as we think about this, that in Jesus, this this transcendent God becomes real, he becomes becomes, uh, physical, We, we start to see something in them. This means we see in Jesus the character and the temperament and the personality of God. So if you want to know, 
how does God feel about this group or that group? You look at Jesus. If you want to know how does God feel about the rich or the poor or the oppressed or the disenfranchised, you look at Jesus. If you want to know how does God feel about sin or sinners, you look at Jesus. If you want to know how would God vote on Tuesday, you look at Jesus and you try your best to try to understand that. You don't stay loyal to political party. You stay loyal to the king above all kings and his kingdom. And you try to say, how do I think Jesus would respond to this? See, in him, he says, we see this. This is a very profound verse because what it does is it makes us kind of rush back into Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and say, I need to reread these, these gospel accounts all over again because now I'm, I'm watching how he responds, how he lives, how he talks, how, well, the things he does. And when I watch Jesus do these things, I am seeing God come to life. The invisible God is found in Jesus, he's saying. So let me ask you, how well are you modeling Jesus in thought, in desire, in action? See, we put Jesus first because in Jesus, we, we see God. We see what God is like. Jesus shows us what God is like. But notice how the passage ends, uh, continues. So it says that he is the firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether th- uh, thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Now, stop there for a second, because uh, one of those phrases will throw us off, and that is the phrase, he is the firstborn. Now, this is our, our English ears hear that. And you might think, uh, uh, if you know my family, you would say, uh, Andrew is the firstborn of Bill and Kim. He is the firstborn of Bill. He looks like Bill. He sounds like Bill. He's got a giant head like Bill. Uh, he's weird like Bill. Like, we think of firstborn, right, as like this, crea- uh, like this creation of, of, of something else. This is not what it means. And if, we, if you can rethink this, so the idea, that word firstborn means preeminent, means supreme. And if we understand it this way, then those next verses make a ton of sense, don't they? Because if he is preeminent, if he's supreme, if he's over all things, and notice what Paul is trying to tell you, he is over all things, and all things means all things. And in case you weren't sure about it, he, he expresses it this way. Heaven and earth, visible and invisible, thrones, powers, rulers, authorities, all things created by him, through him, for him. So he doesn't just create all things, he sustains all things. He's over all things. And so here's the, the second point I want you to, to see, that Jesus needs to become bigger, not smaller in your life. He needs to become bigger, not smaller in your life. Everything we see, he is big, he is over, he is, he is supreme, he has authority. He's before planets and galaxies, before matter and energy, before time and space. And as far back as our finite minds can go, Jesus is already there. 
He's before all those things. And then notice the creation part of it. He holds it all. He creates it all. He holds it all together. And part of this confusion uh, would have been uh, for them to think about beings, angelic beings. And he says, look, any kind of supernatural being you think of, Jesus has authority over all beings. And notice this. He's the head of the church. He's my boss. Okay? You call me the senior pastor, I appreciate it, but I know who the real senior pastor is of this church. He is the head of the body. The body is kind of an interesting uh, story. Uh, We see an illustration of the church. We see that we are like a body. We all are like a part, and we all play a role. That's very important that you figure out what your role is, but there's always only one head, and it is Jesus. I'm not the head of this body. I don't know. I'm an ear or an earlobe or a fingernail. I don't know. But we all have a part of this body that we play, but he is over this as well. And so this is what was important because part of the idea that was permeating into this church was that Jesus was just a part of God's creation. He was in some ways maybe just kind of a beam of light and not the source itself that he was a cog in the universe, not the one holding the universe together. And so Paul's making it abundantly clear. He is over all these things. And if he is over all these things, you cannot make him smaller in your life. You should only make him bigger. The the same struggle is there for us today, right? The struggle to make him smaller, compete with all kinds of other things in our life. And when Paul finishes his description you realize, why would anything, why would I let anything compete with him? Jesus says it this way at one point. He's he basically giving you an understanding. He says it kind of a weird way. So he says this. Kids, make sure you hear this right, because if you do this wrong, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. He says, uh, unless you hate your mother, brother, father, you know, all these things, unless you hate your own life as well. Now, he doesn't want you to hate your mom, right? Okay, you'd be breaking one of the Ten Commandments. So you don't hate your mom. His point was this. Think of it like a race. I have to win this race by such a wide margin of whatever is next in your life that if you were to look at what came in second, it would almost appear as if it was running a different race altogether. That there can't be anything that comes close to competing with your allegiance to me. And so he doesn't want to be the one who just kind of wins by a nose. He just kind of stretches out over and he's just barely ahead of something in our lives but that he wants to be so important in our lives that you can almost not even find the next thing that is the priority. That's how big it is. And every other priority that is in our life falls in submission to this and is, and is ruled by this. So the way we love our family and our friends, the way we approach our career and our future, all these things are, are in submission to his greatness and, and who he belongs and when we see this, we realize this is, this is a challenge for us as well. One of the things I, I love is I'm watching us learn how to live this uh, more in, in such deeper ways again and again. And one of the th- ways that I see this come out a lot of times is when we prepare to baptize someone. Because the, the commitment to be baptized is the commitment to say that from this point on, when I come out of that water, my choice is to be a different person. That who I am now as I'm following Jesus and I'm trusting him no matter what it costs me, no matter where he leads me. And that is really to submit, to say he must become bigger in my life, and I must become smaller. 
And one of the stories I really loved in our last baptism was the story of uh, my friend Rusty here, uh, listening to his story of, of how God had been working over a season of his life to make him bigger and bigger and bigger. So would you welcome Rusty uh, to share his story with you? Good morning, Beach Point. Is this working? My name is Rusty, and I'm here to share my story. Now, when Pastor Bill asked me to share my story, my first thought was, my story? I don't have a story, right? But as I started to reflect on my life, the impact of God throughout my journey truly amazed me. I was baptized as a baby, but growing up, I was not a practicing Christian. There was a spiritual connection to God from day one, and I always knew he was with me, but it never really dawned on me just how much he was there. At the age of 20, I had my first child, a beautiful baby girl, Alyssa, but I thought my world was over. How was I going to raise and support a child when I was still just a child myself? My priorities were all out of whack. I lived my life like a 21-year-old rather than a father. Drinking and partying night after night, I was depressed and found myself becoming someone I was not proud of. By the grace of God, I got back to trying to be a good father. I worked hard, developed a career, and was there for my daughter Alyssa. But I became consumed with work and with making as much money as I could. That even though I was back with my daughter and seeing her every chance I got, making plenty of money. I was still unhappy. I was actually quite miserable. Over the next 10 years, I still had that spiritual connection with God. But I also had a, a, deep, sen- a deep sense of shame. I, I think knowing that I was living my life away from God left me feeling guilty about the things I was still doing and the many things I was still not doing. Fast forward a bit. I met the love of my life, Danielle. We married, and a year later had a beautiful daughter, Presley. I had everything I could ask for, but there was still an emptiness. And one day, my sister Stephanie confronted me, and she told me, there's something off. There's something missing in your life. I agreed with her, but I didn't know what it was. You know, I'd been trying to find that out for a long time. She seemed to think she had the answer. She said, why don't you come to church with us? I agreed with her, but didn't take action. Then on my 37th birthday, my Uncle Mark gave me a copy of a book called The Story. On the inside, on the inside cover, he wrote five facts, and, and the third fact really stuck with me. He simply said, God wants to have a personal relationship with you. And right then and there, I knew that was what was missing in my life. And I decided to accept my sister's invitation to go to church that Sunday. My wife agreed, and we went, and it's been two and a half years now we've been coming, and we're truly honored to call Beach Point our home. I was not healed overnight, right? We've kept coming. I've kept growing and learning to make God bigger in my life, one piece at a time. I began to build my personal relationship with God, I began to pray. I pray, God, please lead me to where I can best serve you. Give me the strength to be the best father, husband, son, brother, and friend I could be. 
I still pray this prayer to this day. This last September, I was baptized at the beach. We've dedicated our daughter here. I'm here. I'm still growing along with each one of you. I don't feel empty anymore. And I'm grateful to the Lord for loving me enough to bring people into my life who told me he loved me and continued to invite me here. My name's Rusty, and this is my story. Thank you. Sometimes you guys wonder why we press this idea of 8 to 15. Uh, that's why, because there's, there's people in your life uh, that God wants to use you in and to be a blessing. So, Stephanie, thank you for the way that you are faithful to your brother. Uh, look, I, wanna, I want us to see one last piece to this, this part of the passage. It's so powerful, and we can feel like a lot of what's been uh, working at so far is I got to work harder, I got to put Jesus higher, I got to make him first, and it feels like something we've got to do. And if you leave here thinking that, you're going you're gonna to really miss ex- exactly what Paul wanted to do. So he, he begins to show us who Jesus is. But then the passage takes this shift and he shows us what Jesus did. And so to help you understand this last point, I think it's going to help if, I can, uh, if we can do something together. So I'm going to invite the ushers. They're going to pass out to you the elements of communion right now while I share this last point. So... Uh, uh, As these elements come to you, uh, you are invited to take uh, uh, these elements. If you're a follower of Jesus, I would encourage you, uh, each one of you, grab one if you want. You can hold it or you can place it in a little cup holder in front of you. But what these elements represent is they represent something that happened on the last night of Jesus' life. That Jesus took bread and he broke it, and he shared to his followers that this was his body broken. You guys can go ahead and start passing. And I want you to hold this, because this bread represents his body that was broken for us, and the cup represents his blood that was shed for us. And the scriptures say that this body, this, this bread and this cup represent what price was paid to redeem you. Uh, for us, redemption may not mean as much in our, again, our English ears, but you have to try to understand the idea of redemption in this term is that you have to imagine yourself enslaved, in shackles, on the, on the, the trading block. And someone comes to pay the price for your freedom. But the price that is paid, the scriptures say, is not with silver and gold, but with the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so millions of of followers of Jesus have already done this today. And for 2,000 years, uh, the church continues to to take time to to, to practice this, this moment because it reminds us of what it is Jesus did. And, and I, you can just place your Bible down, just concentrate on the, the elements you have, but then listen to these last words that Paul says in this hymn. He says, God was pleased to have the, his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross, Once you were alienated from God, you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish 
and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, establish and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel, the good news, that you heard and has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. And this last thing I want you to see is, as we see this, that only Jesus can reconcile you to God. Think about the amazing turn this passage takes to not only say, speak of his greatness, but to say because the fullness of God dwelt in him, he was the perfect one who could come and and offer for us what we could not offer for ourselves. We were estranged, alienated. Have you ever felt that with a, a relationship? Have you ever had that with a friend or a family member? It is crushing. There's a darkness in your heart and your soul when you feel this. And and the scriptures describe that this is how we were with God. That through our rebellion, we had estranged ourselves. We had alienated ourselves from God. There was nothing we could do to fix the problem. And so God fixed it for us. He sent into the world his one and only son. The one who is above all things, who created all things, who sustains all things, who is before all things. He said, I will go. And he, he left his throne and he, he laid down his, his, thro- his, uh, his crown. And he exchanged it for a cross. And he gave his life in exchange for ours. And he is the one who made reconciliation possible. We have life because of what he was willing to do for us. And so when we talk about placing him first, putting him first, it's not, the good news is not if you put him first, you'll go to heaven. The good news is this, that while we were alienated, estranged from God, God sent the one who was above all things. And he stepped in our place. And he paid our price. And he suffered for us so that we could be alive and free, and in relationship with God, and in peace with God forever. That's what God wants for you, to know him, to be in relationship, as as Rusty's uncle said, to be in relationship with him forever. And so he did the most amazing thing to make that possible. We put Jesus first because it is the only wise thing to do. It is the only true thing to do. It is the act of worship that only, it's a really the only act of worship that makes sense. In light of all that he has done. And so dear Beach Point, I, I want to encourage you this morning to put him first. Not so that it will give you favor with God, but because you already have such favor. He cares about you so much, and he has done so much to bring you to him. And he knows that if you put him in that right place, that he can give you the life he's always dreamed of. And so in this last moment, uh, I want to give you a moment. I'm going to pray and give you a moment. Uh, but I want you to think there's a, this is a moment to be thankful for these elements, what they represent the sacrifice, and you can give thanks to God. But you can also be able to say to God in this moment that you want, you want this to be true. As Rusty said, it's, it's not going to happen all at once, but you can, say, you can take whatever step you need to take today to say, Lord Jesus, you need to be in that place, that place first in my life.
And with your help, I want to hold on to the things I need to hold on to, and I want to let go of the things I need to let go of so that you can be in the right place, the place you deserve. And so let's pray for that. And so, Lord Jesus, we take this time to remember you, your greatness, uh, but also the greatness of your sacrifice. It's not only who you are, but because of who you are and what you are willing to do that we are so moved to say you should be, you must be first in all things. And so let this time be a time in which our hearts really resonate with that. We pray this in your name. Amen. When you're ready, eat, drink, and remember him.